a powerful way to think about cultural fit is what are their values? How do they think? What do they stand for? How do they operate? That's how we are trying to do recruitment. That's certainly how we're thinking about talent development and succession planning in my part of the business. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times. It's hosted by under 30s for the under 30s around the world. This second series is about all the aspects the FT organization is covering today, from editorial to development, from data to talent. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is a guide we designed to inspire you to be the one driving innovation and change. Welcome to the show. We are FT Talent and we are here at the Financial Times in London at Bracken House and we have Nick Fallon with us, our Managing Director of B2B at the Financial Times. How are you, Nick? I am really well, really excited to be here and thank you for having me. Thank you for your time. We actually just worked together on the New York City Challenge on the future of news in New York. You met a lot of our challengers there and now we welcome you to our podcast. And thanks to you today, we are going to explore the B2B side of our newspaper. Can you tell us really, like, you know, generally um, a bit about your role? What does it mean to be a managing director of a B2B side? And what is the B2B side of FT? <laughs> All good questions. I'll start with what B2B is. Yeah. Uh, so B2B is the part of the Financial Times that sells subscriptions of our content to organizations rather than individuals. So you or I could subscribe to the FT anytime, but we actually sell to your academic institution, to government departments and to, in large part, uh, corporate organizations. So that started as really a bit of a side hustle years ago, 17 years ago. We realized that there were groups of individual paying readers in these places like academia or, or in corporates. And could, could we find a way of selling differently to them? And 17 years later, that has really grown to the point that we are now responsible for 75% of the paying audience. Of the, of the Financial Times, and about 65% of the engaged audience. So it's really grown from a side hustle into the biggest part of our audience, um, which is super exciting. Uh, what do you think about like this business model and the profitability, sustainability of, uh, of the news? Do you think that looking at the B2B angle is really one of the solutions? Uh, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, I, I actually think we have a very clear purpose here at the Financial Times to find the sustainable business model for quality, independent, impartial news. Uh, and I feel very much that we are all on that mission together and we have that shared purpose. But I, I do genuinely think that the B2B approach has a significant role to play in that. So if you think about people's propensity to pay for news, younger generations are far less likely to, to want to pay or expect to pay for newspaper access. I think the institutional organizational sale becomes more and more important. So the value is delivered to individuals still, but the, the sort of value exchange commercially is, is at their organization level. And that's why it's part of our strategy and my strategy to find ways of making the FT content more valuable in those settings so that it, it, it becomes less of a newspaper and more of a tool that people might use in academia, more of a research tool in the corporate world, more of a business intelligence tool. So the more we can create those sort of value propositions 
around the content, the more that makes sense, I think, as a business model. And I think we are tuned on uh, the same uh, kind of note because that's exactly what we are trying to do as well, you know, with the this, uh, business development uh, division of FT Talent is like how we can turn into a useful tool uh, for our listeners, uh, for our challengers, to anyone that interacts with the Financial Times uh, to make most use of a newspaper and the news organizations and all the tools that, of course, as, for example, the um, FT Schools initiatives that I know is uh, under your wing in terms of B2B, so offering for uh, free to the final students, let's say, uh, the subscription and access to the Financial Times. It's it's a great democratic tool, but as well, uh, it's a great uh, career um, improvement, we believe. It is. It's so important to us that we form those relationships with younger readers uh, in, in whatever way that we can. The school's initiative is brilliant because, as you say, it's, it's, it's brought to the students by partnership and sponsorship, so there's no, no money changes hands there. Um, but we also very much look at um, younger people in uh, later stages of academia. So we, we have a big customer base in universities and, and business schools, and with you know making sure that we are forming those relationships with the future leaders of government, the future leaders of business and society um, as early as possible is really important to us. So that's uh, forming that as soon as we can really matters. Nick, why don't you walk us through uh, your career and uh, your career journey and uh, the best experiences that you made before coming to FT? Brilliant. Okay, how far back can I go? I'll start at the beginning. Uh, So I, I went to university pretty convinced, like I guess a lot of people, I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, and that that sort of was in my head the whole time. Uh, left university, didn't immediately find a, a journalistic role. And being a pragmatist, I thought, well, I will I will get a job to tide me over until I get that job as a journalist. And of course, thirty years later, I'm still doing that job, <laughs> waiting waiting to become a journalist. Um, but what I've discovered is that is the job. Um, and I think that's the important thing for people to to realize is. You don't know how things are going to work out and you should you should take these opportunities and see where they go rather than being fixated on on the one thing. And so the story is kind of interesting. Uh, so I end up at what the what people would describe as T-shaped. So, you know, I've got a sort of fairly deep knowledge in what I describe as sort of product digital strategy, but a very broad set of experiences and capabilities that come from having worked in lots of different companies in different functions, on different roles, on different uh, projects and challenges. And I think that is the thing I, I, I'm most proud of. And I think that sort of allows me to do the job I do at the moment. But the journey to there, what sort of fills out that T-shape is, I started in content. So I started in academic publishing and I was working on journals and books and major reference works. And I, I got more and more curious and interested in the commercial side of that and how we deliver content. So then I got into roles that were product management and I I really enjoyed that. So the sort of thinking about product delivery, uh, I did that for a number of product roles in different places. Can you mention a few places? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out in uh, academic press, which is, uh, as you might imagine, an academic publisher. I spent time in product at um, Doan Information, which is, was part of Thompson at that time, which was all dealing with, which was dealing with intellectual property, um, and and various other than that, and that, and that, and it was actually the product experience that led me to go and work at Informa, 
and Informer, I'd started there as a digital director, really to help them with sort of transforming a lot of their products into a more digital uh, set of propositions. But then learned that actually I was more interested in the sort of overall business strategy. So that allowed me to sort of extend my 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 scope and to sort of learn more about portfolio strategy and 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 the M&A strategy and that kind of thing. And so that led to head of transformation roles and uh, chief of staff type roles that were really working with CEOs and business leaders on how does the business overall work. And I, t I talk about that as being working on the business rather than in the business. Uh, so you're really thinking about how the business units fit together. Um, and so that, that led to a lot of sort of running transformational programs. At certain points, I even ran talent departments and, yeah. <laughs> and things like that. So it just became, I became good at picking up new challenges and adapting to new situations. Um, and, that, and that has led to a number of MD, P&L type roles, which I, which I really, really love. Um, and I think I'm probably better at them because of the empathy I have with the different functions because I've, I've done them and I've worked closely with them. So I've got a really close understanding of what it means to be an editorial or sales or marketing or operations because I've been there and I've lived it. And I think that empathy is, is really important. You had a, cl a clear passion for journalism, for content and uh, for what journalism stands for. And you kind of unfold your career following um, both opportunities and things that you saw has sweet spots in the job market. In this overly specialized world, but when you approach the career space and everyone is already requiring even like, you know, two, three years of internship experience in that specific field. And you say, look, I, I have a clear passion for a field and uh, I'm, I'm a bit more of a specialist and uh, I'm looking for an opportunity to um um, you know, rather than being a specialist, but, you know, from a generalist understanding of, of the industry, I want to go into one vertical and one funnel. It, what would be your advice today to your younger self that approaches the market and has the same fire for news, but says, look, yeah, I might, but I don't really know if I want to be on the commercial side. I just want to experience it. What would you say to yourself if you are the higher of uh, the younger Nick? Yeah, well, it's a great question. Um, I think I would kind of give myself the advice that I did take as a, as a younger person, which is to be pragmatic and to say, don't fixate on that particular job. Fix, focus instead on where are you going to learn most. So it's better to get into the right organization in for example, one of the many brilliant commercial roles we have on offer and learn the business from there and then see where your your passion and your curiosity and your capabilities take you, which I suppose was my story. So I, I'm I'm a really, really keen advocate of that. And I and I we have a lot of entry level roles on the B2B side um, in in sort of sales, customer success, etc. And we've been really clear that we're going to remove the need for one or two years experience for those roles. We, we no longer require a degree for some of those roles because actually what we'd rather find is skills and capabilities and teach the right people the skills they need to do the job. So that's one of the things that led to us meeting was me saying, well, how do we uh, extend our reach in terms of talent? How do we find a broader, more diverse set of talent? And then how do we make it easier? How do we reduce those 
perhaps unnecessary barriers for some of those entry-level roles. Sorry, so going back to the talking to the 19, 20, 21-year-old me, uh, I, I would say do that. Um, I would say find something that you have a, a shared sense of values, mission, and purpose with. Don't work for a company that you don't believe in just be, just to get the experience. It, it is far better to actually work somewhere that you care about and feel properly aligned with. That will give you better experiences and learnings than working somewhere where you really don't feel you fit in. You're not a great fit and you're, and you're sort of just doing it for the money or just doing it for the... Um, just doing it for the LinkedIn profile or whatever. Uh, what's your take on on a cultural fit? How do you basically build uh, a culture, especially in when you're an MD, so a managing director, but you have a role of leadership as well? When you think about cultural fit, sometimes you're saying, does that person fit in here as a, as a person? And there's a very lazy and I believe incredibly dangerous way of thinking about cultural fit. And it's, what do they look like? How do they speak? Where were they educated? Who do they know? That's dangerous, that's lazy, and that's kind of how a lot of recruitment has been done over hundreds of years, and this is and, and that creates problems around diversity and inclusion. A powerful way to think about cultural fit is what are their values? How do they think? What do they stand for? How do they operate? If you think about cultural fit in terms of those other things rather than the just the the, the cover, thank you. Uh, I think that's a much better place. And I think that that's how we are trying to do recruitment. That's certainly how we're thinking about talent development and succession planning in my part of the business is, you know, it doesn't matter where you went to university. It matters how you think and operate. And you are part of the 30 percent uh, mentors um, uh, club. So can you tell me a bit more about that and what is it giving you being a mentor? Uh, the, the the mission of the 30% Club is to get 30% board representation by women. Um, and I think that's an admirable goal. Um, the way it works is brilliant because each organization stands up, uh, puts forward a number of women who require the, the mentoring and must also make available the same number of mentors. And the mentors can be men or women. Um and, it's a, and that's a great value exchange. And I think what I love about that is it's very focused on a specific goal, but also it's really broad. So mentoring is often finding somebody else in your organization or maybe just a little bit further out in your, in your network and, and asking them to be your mentor. But being paired based on what the mentor's capabilities are and what the mentee's needs are by this independent group actually creates much better pairings. And I think the, the mentees get more out of this totally independent view. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think it's a really important thing for those of us that are more advanced in our careers to mentor those, those closer to the beginning and vice versa. So I'm also a significant fan of the kind of reverse, the reverse of that. Nick, uh, you just mentioned something that uh, resonates quite a lot with me that is always about the human side of the business and uh, how you don't want to let people down, especially when you need to take some tough decisions. How do you manage uh, stress and anxiety? Yeah, and there's two sides of this, right? So stress is, an, is, a, is a quite specific word. And I think genuinely that if you feel supported 
even if you're doing hard and challenging things, I think if you feel a sense of fellowship yeah. and belonging and you feel supported by your team and the people yeah. around you and by your leaders, I don't think that is stressful. I, I think that is exhilarating. I think, you know, hard, hard work and challenging goals and what have you can, can feel stressful if any of those other ingredients are missing. So if you don't feel a sense of fellowship, if you don't feel support from your boss, you're going to feel pretty stressed about most things, right? But if you're in the environment where it does, it is clear what's expected of you and you know you've got the support, uh, I, I, I would say it very rarely feels like stress, even though it can feel like hard work and you can be pretty exhausted by it. But the anxiety bit and, the, and all of that, I think, is really important. And I think we should all be far more honest about being vulnerable. And I think we should all, however senior we are, recognize that sometimes we have a bit of imposter syndrome sometimes we just feel a bit overwhelmed and don't really know the answer and maybe you walk into a room of people and they expect you to kind of have the magic answer to this thing and i think being vulnerable and saying do you know i actually don't know the answer to that um right now but let's talk about how to do it allowing ourselves to be um a bit vulnerable kind of reduces the anxiety actually because the anxiousness is because you're thinking god i feel like this but i've got to hide it from everybody because i'm the yeah. boss <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but if you allow yourself to be a little bit more vulnerable i think it sort of dissipates quite a lot of that um all in all these episodes that we uh, are getting experts like yourself from uh, from the ft we are kind of all saying the same things you guys are all saying the same things and it's really it, it makes us realize and i hope it makes you realize also our listeners that organizations are you know um a piece of society and um and i think it's it's so great to you know a conversation that started how does how does it work the business side of ft <laughs> we're going into really like you know through uh culture Cultural, uh, um, cultural and ethical uh, chats. I'm a young person interested on the commercial side of a newspaper. What shall I study? What should you study? Uh, that's a really interesting one. Um, I would actually say study the thing that you're best at and you're most excited by because unless you want to follow a particular topic, if you, you know, unless you really want to be an expert in a certain area, Again, it's more important that you, you study something that you can demonstrate you've been really good at, the process of studying and advancing your knowledge of something. So I, I wouldn't steer someone specifically to, you know, like a business studies or a media business studies uh, course necessarily. Um, I mean, obviously, those are great courses. And, you know, if somebody has studied that, that will give them a lot of, uh, a, a lot of good information and, and a good grounding. But I think I would rather meet someone who said to me, well, I studied history, and this is why, and this is what I got out of it, and let me let me tell you about how it changed my life more than I studied business studies because I wanted a commercial role. In terms of, like, uh, adaptability, but I think it's uh, another key word for a leader, um, how did you adapt yourself and your skill set with s technologies and devices that are so fast forward moving and are not moving at the same time of human beings? Um I think you just have to focus on the things that on the fundamentals. What do our customers really care about? Do these technologies fit with our strategy? You know, uh, we kind of have a good sense of where we're going and why. Yeah. And so you can review all of those new sort of <laughs> volatile yeah. things through the prism of the stability of your strategy and, and your understanding of your customers and where, and where you're going. I think that sort of makes it feel a little less like, oh, my God, I have to know everything. Yeah. Uh, 
but I but in terms of how do I how do I uh, sort of keep keep on top of things? I would say, and this is another general tip for just how to how to survive <laughs> how to survive a day a day job is schedule time for reading, schedule time for thinking, and schedule time for planning, and uh, to the best of your ability, do what you can to find time to read and find the right things to read. I would obviously start with the Financial Times. I identify the 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 areas you're interested in, identify the newsletters, the publications, uh, or even in that time, read read some chapters of a book. But definitely read, definitely think, and definitely plan the week ahead. So this is one of my things. That once I started doing this, you know, it made it so much easier to balance lots of different things. Is Just actually look for the, the next two weeks and see everything that's coming up. Oh, I've got that meeting on Wednesday that I actually have to prepare for. I know that on a Monday rather than knowing that on a Wednesday morning, right? But you have to but you have to create the habit of planning. Yeah. You need to be a manager of yourself and of you your do. own time. You, and it's, you uh, absolutely yeah. do. Thank you so much, Nick. As you know, one special part of this podcast is welcoming challengers. Yes. So younger challengers from all over the world to ask you directly some questions. So we welcome in the studio Alex and Sophia. Alex, why don't we start from you and uh, your experience and then please ask your question to Nick. Uh, yeah, thank you, Virginia, and uh, nice to meet you, Nick. I'm Alex. I'm nice living, to meet you. Yeah, I'm living in London now, and I just, uh, you know, founded my own startup about uh, NFT DAX, doing some cool things about NFT. So I'm the ex-talent in 2021. It's my honor to ask a question because I'm very curious about your leadership. So I want to ask you about what would you describe your leadership style and uh, uh, what have you have learned from leading your team? Yeah. About that, well, lovely to meet you. Thank you for that question. That's a brilliant question. Uh, how would I describe my, my leadership style? I think what I'm really good at is getting people together, convening smart people talking about where we need to go, so vision and strategy, and then helping them create the right environment in which to be successful. So I think my leadership style is less directive, and this is what we're doing, and go on and get on with it. It's more to help the really smart people around me come together and agree what the, the the right pathway is and to agree how we're going to achieve that what are the you know what are the challenges what are the interdependencies and how we can do that so I, I feel like I'm more of a sort of facilitator of things than <laughs> anything if you see what I mean I'm not sure that's ever been written in the business books as a kind of facilitator boss but uh, I think maybe that's that's how I think about myself um, and what was the second half of the question? I'm so sorry. Uh, it's uh, about have you, uh, what have you learned from uh, leading a team? Yeah. I think I've learned um, not just leading this team of brilliant leaders, um, but in other leadership roles that it is fine to not know the answer to everything. It's fine to not be the expert <laughs> in everything. In fact, it's kind of helpful uh, to have the expert sitting around you and for you to cr play that sort of curation role. Uh, so I think that that's pretty much the, the main thing is we all have our role to play and being the MD or the CEO or, or whatever is doesn't mean you have to be that best at everything. It yeah. means you have to be the best at bringing people together and getting people to work together and making the environment in which they're successful. That's what you have to be the best at. Oh, thank you for your advice and I can go real. Yeah, thank you. Good. Thank you. Sophia, over to you. Um, my name is Sophia. I'm currently living in London and I'm from the FTX Bocconi Challenge Edition. 
And my question for you, Nick, is um, within the manager job and talking to businesses, as you do all the time, what would you say are the strongest communication tools and skills that you have developed and how can we as young people getting into the job air, like market um, get to that level that yeah. you have? Brilliant question. Um, so, yes, I do talk to a lot of people across the FT and I speak to a lot of customers and people in other businesses. And I would say that the best communication skill is actually the, the listening side and the curiosity side. Um, just being curious and interested in the person you're talking to um, in front of you, so asking more questions than telling them what you think is 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 a key key skill. And also, of course, the more conversations you have in which you are curious and humble and you're asking uh, for people's input, of course, you then start to create a knowledge base of, ah, okay, I see some patterns. And then you can actually start to add value to those conversations by saying, ah, oh, well, that's interesting that you are struggling with that or you you see this because I spoke to X, Y, and Z and they had a similar situation and this is what they did. So I think it's it all comes from that asking questions, being curious um, and not feeling you have to know the answers. It's fine to actually say, what do you think about this and what, what would you do with that? So I think that's uh, a big part. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for being with us, Nick. And thanks to all our listeners and watchers to tune us, uh, tune with us uh, as uh, every week, every Monday, every Monday morning for Vitaly Show. Thank you so much and up to the next episode. This has been the Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent Team, Aya Al-Shihabi, and me, Virginia Stagni. Our podcast producer, editor, and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa, and our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening. Keep listening.